Folks, I apologize for that. And I guess what we ought to probably do here is to start over. Because nothing I said has even gone out. So, let's start over here at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, because your heart is lifted up, he says. The problem with the, the king of Tyre is pride. It's also the problem that the city of Tyre had and God had pointed it out to them. Is This is a question I put up on the Facebook link when we started. Does the attitude of a leader have to come upon those that are under them? So we're going to deal with that here in a little bit later. But let's continue on with, with this part. Although he is not mentioned by name, the king of Tyre during the period was Ethbal II. That was from 585 to 573 B.C. So he says, uh, I sit in the seat of gods. How did he come to this viewpoint to see himself as a god? We know that they had changed the religion from the normal one that the Phoenicians would worship. They switched it to one that was uh, more around the king. And the king could could uh, control that. He said, I sit in the seat of gods. Because they had moved this, and there was no longer a religion that was perpetuated by the priests. It was one that was promoted by the kings. They saw themselves as sitting in the seat of gods, which is not unusual. The Egyptians, of course, did this. Pharaoh, each pharaoh thought they were a god, and many others as, as well. So in the midst of the seas, this is probably the uniqueness of Tyre and their place in the sea. The sea also represents the world. It may be representative of that. I think probably more it's the uniqueness of Tyre and their place in the sea. In verse 3, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. This is the Daniel that you're thinking. Daniel, of course, was a contemporary of Ezekiel. They knew each other. Daniel, at this point, had become well established by the time this prophecy was was uh, being given. There were three invasions by Nebuchadnezzar. The first invasion occurred in 605 B.C. And this is where Daniel and his friends were taken captive. The second happened in 597 B.C. And the third was in 587 B.C. And this is the one for which it is being prophesied about now. This is about 18 years total. Daniel has been in Babylon for about 18 years. We know the first few years were supposed to be training for him. But because the king had the dream that was going to wipe out everyone because of the failed interpretation, and Daniel was able to interpret it, he soared to the top very early. So though he's been there for 18 years, he soared in his uh, status and his influence, and he just kept getting better and better. So he was well known throughout the kingdom, and Tyre would have known of Daniel. And he compared himself to Daniel in this verse. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. Let me read it to you in the New Century Version. You think you are as wise as God, but you are a human, not a God. You think you are wiser than Daniel. You think you can find out all secrets. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, as we said, about three times. So, um, this is the third invasion 
And this is when this prophecies of Ezekiel switched from prophesying about Jerusalem to prophesying about those who came against her. Now verse 5 says, By your great wisdom and trade you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. They had, the people of Tyre had great wisdom in the area of trade, and they had great skills. And God acknowledges that. And it's proved by the things that they were able to, to do. They were successful. But because they saw their success proving their wisdom in this area, and they felt that success should also prove their wisdom in other areas. How many people do you know that just because they're wise in one area think they're wise in many more? This was the case with these people. They come to the conclusion that all wisdom they have is right. Verse 6, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God. And the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of the aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord. So what this is saying here is you're going to hold this thought that you are a God all the way up until the time when people are coming and they have the, the uh, sword pointed at you ready to kill you. And as they kill you, you're still going to be saying, I am a God, and they're going to be laughing at you. Let me read this to you in the New Century Version. So this is what the Lord God says, You think you are wise like a God, but I will bring foreign people against you, the cruelest nation. They will pull out their swords and destroy all your wisdom has built, and they will dishonor your greatness. They will kill you. You will die a terrible death like those who are killed at sea. While they are killing you, you will not be able to say anymore, I am a God. You will, only, you will be only a human, not a God, when your murderers kill you. You will die like an unclean person. Foreigners will kill you. I have spoken, says the Lord God. Now this is the first prophecy that was given here. This prophecy is dealing with the uh, prince of Tyre, as it is, is called. The, uh, we would know him, of course, as the king. And depending upon the translation you have, it renders it different ways. We'll look at those words that are involved there in a minute. But here we're going to go on to verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So here's where it gets interesting. It says, You were the seal of perfection. Can you find any case where a king of a foreign country like Tyre would be seen from God as a seal of perfection. Now it says in past tense, he says you were the seal of perfection, which means he stopped being the seal of perfection. He said they were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now in the previous prophecy, he was picking on the wisdom 
that they thought they had. They thought they were wise. This king thought he was, was wiser than Daniel. And God says, no, you're not. But here, he says, you are full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So it seems to be somewhat different than the prophecy that was just given. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. It would seem very difficult for a king, a man-king, to fit this description. That is a long list of things to be able to do that first off, full in wisdom and perfect in beauty. There is no person on earth that would fit that description. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That is not talking about some city called Eden. This is talking about the, the garden of God that Adam and Eve were in. And understand the garden of God, Eden, may have existed before Adam and Eve. We're not going to get into all that right now. But every precious stone was your covering. And if you could spend some more time here, or if you want to go on home and, and spend some time this, check out some of the covering stones compared to some of the stones that are used with the priest robe and some of the foundation stones with the city of the New Jerusalem. He said, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, there's no way that the king of Tyre was ever a cherub, nor that he was anointed for the purpose of being one who covers. He said, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Now, this phrase is only used here in Ezekiel, holy mountain of God. It would seem to be something to do with heaven. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. And this would seem to have a reference from some other places in Scripture to the uh, very seat on which God would sit. And you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Now, the king of Tyre was not perfect in his ways from the day he was created. He was far from that. But there was one who was perfect in his ways from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. And that, of course, would be Satan. Now, believe it or not, some people look at this list and do not see Satan in it. I am amazed at uh, the number of people that are out there who actually think that this is still talking about the king of Tyre. But it seems to be going beyond the king and to talk about the one who is behind the king. Now, in verse 1, when it said the, the word ruler or prince, it used, uses the word nag, nagid, N-A-G-I-D. I'm not sure of all my Hebrew pronunciations, so taking a guess at that one. The verse 12 refers to, to the king, and it, it's um, Melech, M-E-L-E-K. This is Melech of Tyre. So, first off, Najid of Tyre, and then Melech of Tyre. So we have two different words there. Now, I'm not trying to show you that there's any significance in this second word, 
to mean something more than a human king because the second word melech is used uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different times in Ezekiel referring to Babylon, Babylonian kings. And we also see it one, two, three, four other times referring to Egyptian pharaohs. But here, since the two prophecies are together and the two different words are used, I think we need to look at it just in that scope of these two prophecies that are here and that we have switched and we are addressing one in the first prophecy and another in the second prophecy. Verse 16, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. So he was cast out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. That is certainly not a natural king on the earth. The interesting part here, and the only part of this prophecy that gives me second thought, is by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. It wouldn't seem that a cherub would need to be involved in trade, as the king of Tyre was. Now, this simply could mean that whatever business it was that he was in, whatever responsibilities he had, because we know that as the anointed cherub, the one that would cover, he would have certain duties and certain responsibilities that would differ from others. And as he went about doing them, this is, uh, to me, this is what it's talking about as far as trading, going around doing business. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. What a powerful thing that was. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Boy, how many times do people even on this earth, they take the wisdom that God has given them and corrupt it to be able to look splendid, to be able to look spectacular, to be able to look better to the people that are around them. But you don't look better to God. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. He began to look at himself and said, Man, you are all that. You are beautiful. Look at the creation that God has, has made. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitudes of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Uh, I'm sorry, no, we're, we're good. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more. Now, there are other places in Scripture where the one who is actually the visible front has a power behind them. In Matthew 16.23, one of the most well-known ones, Jesus is confronted with Peter. But in addressing Peter, he speaks to the spirit behind him. Get behind me, Satan. In the Messianic prophecies, we have things that pertain to David, but also things that went beyond David and waited for Messiah to fulfill. So they were twofold. One part of it was speaking about David, 
and one part of it was speaking about Messiah that would come. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, we have another one. And this is where we have Babylon and the force behind it. In verse 3, this is a prophecy about Babylon itself. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve that you would take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased. The golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is exciting. I'm sorry, excited about you. To meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones. All the kings of the nations. They all shall speak. And say to you. Have you also become as weak as we? Have you come? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to show. And the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you. The worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. And here in verse 12, it switches. Son of the morning. Now, this is a familiar scripture. We know this, but the 11 verses to go before, we're all talking about the king of Babylon. Now we switch over in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you are you who weaken the nations. Now, you would think right there, it's very clear that this is talking about Satan because it uses the name Lucifer. Except this is the passage where we know that Satan's name is Lucifer. So if he's talking about anybody else, then Lucifer here wouldn't be Satan. But I think we've been pretty confident that who he's talking about now is Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Because when Lucifer fell, he brought nations on the earth into judgment with him. Not the nations that are here now, but the nations that were on the earth before Adam and Eve, which the Word of God talks about in many different places. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So look at these things. We remember the the I wills that he speaks about. How you are cut down to the ground. Uh, verse 13. For you have said in your heart, first I will. I will ascend into heaven. Second I will. I will exalt my throne above the stars. Third, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Fifth, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And fifth, I will be like the Most High. This is not talking about the King of Babylon. The King of Babylon could not do these things. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as the wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory. 
everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abomin- uh, abominable branch, like the garment of those who were slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed the land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepared slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers. Lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. While I rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name of the remnant. The offspring and prosperity, says the Lord. I will make it a possession for the porcupine, the marshes of muddy water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. So here's some places in Scripture where the prophecy comes against the one we see, but then also expands to the powers that be behind now, there's some other scriptures we have on Satan. And we'll throw them in here. In Genesis chapter 3, he was in the Garden of Eden when he was tempting Adam and Eve. In First Timothy 3 and verse 6, he was condemned for his pride. In Second Corinthians 11.14, it says that he can appear very beautiful. It talks about him as an angel of light. Revelation 9 and 1, and Luke 10 and 18, they picture having Satan falling from heaven. Job chapter 1, that he has appeared before God, perhaps on the holy mountain of God. Zechariah 3 and 1, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 18, says that Satan opposes and hinders the work of God. John 16.11 Ephesians 2.2 2, and 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is the ruler or prince of this world and the God of this age who has been judged. 1 Chronicles 21.1 incites kings to sin. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26 he takes men captive to do his will. And that one we... Well, let's read that one. Ephesians 2, verse 2. In which you once walked <clears throat> according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And of course, First Peter 5, 8, we're all familiar with that, compares him to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When you look at all these verses about Satan and then take that and compare it to not only the Isaiah passage but also the one here in Ezekiel you can see an awful lot of similarities jumping up they would seem to say that the prophecy the second prophecy is not regarding the king of Tyre but the powers that are behind the king now what is interesting for me is that of all the places there are places right now of greater power than Tyre Tyre is not a great Physical power. Egypt is stronger. Babylon is stronger. Persia is rising up. They are stronger. Even I would say the Greeks haven't quite come to their place of, of power yet, but are certainly in better position. 
are power than, than these folks are. But Satan chooses them because of their riches and because of their influence. Even so, in this, this day, he does not always look for the most powerful of nations to work through. He looks for ones that have influence. He looks for ones who can get in and begin to accomplish things. Because he does not always need power to get things done. Sometimes just getting, just slipping themselves in the back door and uh, overtaking little by little is a way that we can do that. Now, let's get back to our question that we threw out to you here in the beginning. How can the unrighteous attitudes of those over us stay off of us? Because here we see with the king of Tyre that this attitude of pride he had also came upon the city. And of course it was with the kings before them and with the people before them that pride had been a a problem with them for a long time. There are some examples in the word and I'm just going to give you a couple here. These are successful examples. These are people who had a leader that had some problems and they stayed away from those problems. One of the easiest to see is David under Saul. Saul had a lot of attitude problems. He had a lot of problems with his views about God. He had pride issues. Uh, so many issues came up with him, but David stayed clear of them. David served under him in a very close capacity, but did not pick up any of these traits that Saul had. Elijah under Ahab did not pick up the idolatry and all the bad traits that Ahab had. Ahab even picked up some traits from his wife, Jezebel. But Elijah stays completely clear of any of these traits. Uh, Later he's followed by Elisha and Elisha also stays clear of these things. Then of course there's Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his three buddies. These folks came into the kingdom of Babylon and they did not take up the attitudes of the heathens that were around them. They still honored their God. They still honored the law and the ways that they were supposed to go. They stayed true to what they were called to do by God. And they were successful at keeping those attitudes away from them while they served under. Now there's some failed examples too. Uh, first off, there's those in the book of Revelation that are under the Antichrist. Those people take up the bad attitudes of Antichrist and they carry out all the things that Antichrist wants to do. During Jesus' day, the religious leaders under the high priest picked up all the bad attitudes that the high priest had and carried them out and operated just like little high priests with all the same attitudes that he had. But here's one of the uh, clearest examples and this is in the book of First Samuel 22 specifically the verses of 17, 18, and 19. The whole chapter is the story. Those verses are the one that really tells what happened. But there was a man by the name of Doeg. He served under Saul. He saw that David had come into the city and taken some bread for his men after he had fled from Saul. That he sought after the priest for direction and had taken a sword. When Saul came into the place, Doeg came up and he ratted on the high priest and what had gone on there. And so Saul, with his terrible attitude that he had to the things of God anyway, 
he commanded the guards to kill the priests. And the guards refused. Now that's interesting because they wouldn't take on the attitude that Saul had, even though they had a direct order from the king. They refused to kill the priests. So Saul turned to Doeg and said, you kill him. So Doeg went and he killed 85 priests, including the high priest, the ones the guards refused, and then he went on to the city of Nob and he killed the men, women, and children that were there. I forget the specific number of them, but uh, slaughtered quite a few of them. Had no problem with it. Just picked up the bad attitude that Saul had without any any difficulty at all. So how is it that if we serve under a leader that has a bad attitude, how do we refrain ourselves from getting that bad attitude? If we are in a country as uh, Tyre was and Babylon was and you have a king over you who has a bad attitude, has an unrighteous attitude, how do you keep from that attitude coming upon you? So I wrote down some things that, uh, that can help us with this. They are on the outline. If you cannot see the outline that I posted, then um, after I get done here, I will find another way to, to post that up. But you can write these down if you want to in the meantime. How to be successful in staying away from bad attitudes from those that you serve under. First off, and we're going to take this back to our list with Daniel because the story we have with Daniel is phenomenal in showing you how to do this. First thing is compare everything to God's Word and His will. Whatever it is that you hear from the leader, always compare it to the Word of God. In the story with with Doeg, <coughs> the... Um, the guards <coughs> refused. They refused to kill because they compared what he was asking them with the word of God. And they said, no, we can't do it. But Doeg didn't do that. He just said, oh, all right, you want me to kill him? And he knew he would rise in Saul's view. When Daniel came into the, uh, came into Babylon, and they wanted to feed them the meat that was sacrificed to the idols. He said, no, my, my God doesn't want us to do that. So he set up the experiment. Let us just eat vegetables only. His idea was that meat wasn't good for you. His idea was that meat sacrificed to the idols was not good for them. <clears throat> the first thing we need to do is compare everything to God's Word and His will. Second thing, don't accept unproven truths. When a leader throws something out to you, don't accept it as truth until it's proven. See, a righteous leader wants truth to be proved. An unrighteous one wants you to accept what they have said and just do it. <coughs> we saw this with uh, nations like Germany when they would give an order for certain people to be killed. Young, women, old, made no difference. They would just go out and shoot them because they were told to. 
They were told they were traitors. They were told something was wrong with them and that they needed to die. And they were just accepted and did so. And so the attitudes of those in the Third Reich were passed on to those underneath. So compare everything to God's Word and His will. Don't accept unproven truths. Don't do what is not in faith. So we've been looking at it on Sunday. If I can't in faith do it, if I don't have the Word of God telling me this is what you should do, then I can't step out in that area and be in faith. But people that are not serving God will want you to do things that are not in faith. They'll want you to do things out of fear, coercion, guilt, whatever. Don't do what is not in faith. See, Daniel couldn't eat the meat that they had set before them in faith. And so he set apart, set himself apart to eat something else that he could eat in faith, which was the vegetables. He didn't just accept this meat is the best for you. This is going to make you the best you can be. He didn't expect, he didn't just accept that unproven truth. He said, no, let's prove this. Give us this many days. We're just going to eat vegetables. Everybody else eats all the good stuff that you're saying. And then you compare us. See who's better. See, he didn't accept an unproven truth. He said, let's prove it. Here's the fourth one. Be increasing in godly wisdom and understanding. Be increasing in godly wisdom and understanding. You can't ever be dormant. You've got to continue to be increasing. Increasing in wisdom, increasing in understanding. When you increase in wisdom and understanding, you are laying the foundation for God to give you more revelation. But you've got to be in a place where you are pursuing wisdom and you are pursuing understanding. Here's the fifth one, final one. Believe what God reveals over what you see and hear. Believe what God reveals over what you see and hear. Now we can see that certainly in some of the crisis that we're, we're facing here. We are expected to make decisions based on things that we hear are so, but we don't actually know them to be so. And we've told you before some of the stats of some of the diseases and sicknesses that have gone through our country in years past that have had a much higher death rate and never these kind of actions. But people want you to believe, look, we're telling you it's going to be worse. I'm still on the side that I don't believe it is going to be worse. I think it's going to pass a lot sooner than they're saying. And just like we have all the hype with the hurricanes, and just like we have all the hype with the floods, and all the hype with all the other things in the weather that never comes about, we're going to see some of the same things here with this. Now think about Daniel again. When he came to Babylon, and they wanted to have him engage in all these things, he first off compared everything to God's Word and what God said he wanted him to do. He didn't accept unproven truths. He didn't do what he could not do in faith. But he said, I can eat vegetables in faith. I can't eat that meat in faith. 
he continually set himself out to increase in godly wisdom and understanding. And he believed what God revealed over what he saw and what he heard. I would never want to try and tell you that a disaster can't come, that a nasty storm could never come our way. But go with what your spirit reveals to you instead of what ungodly people are telling you. You see, if down in your spirit, down in, if down in your spirit you're hearing, be careful about this. Because God will warn you. It, God warned Jesus many times when something bad was going to happen. God, we, we talked about it, I think, uh, this past Sunday. God warned Paul and told him that people are out here trying to kill you. And uh, they took steps to prevent that from happening. When God reveals something to you, then you act on it. God revealed something to Jesus about a trap set up for him when he, to go, when he would go back for Lazarus. So he took action and he acted on what was revealed, not on what he saw and what he heard. What he heard was a report from his friends. Come, heal Lazarus. What he saw was their, their pleading and their earnestness. But he believed what God has spoken to him and what he revealed. Many times the world is going to try and get you to be concerned, not just in this uh, disease that we're facing, but in other things, and try and get you to be concerned and get you to be fearful and get you to be worried and get you to be consumed with it. But yet in your spirit, you don't have any kind of revelation like that. In your spirit, you don't have any kind of urgency that you need to, to do such and such or stay away from this or not do these particular things. It's not there. So go with what God reveals to you. If God reveals to you, don't go, then don't go. We've heard the stories before. God says to somebody, don't go in their work in your normal time today. Either go earlier or go later. And then they find out later on about some um, mishap on the highway that they would have been right in the middle of. And, uh, you know, a lot of things that are that go on like that. Well, God will reveal things in your spirit when you need to avoid uh, uh, perils that are coming our way. When you need to sidestep them. Even the prophet in the Old Testament would tell the king, don't go over this way. The king of Syria is waiting for you. And the king of Syria got mad. And he came after the prophet. He said, we can't have this going on. I, I gave uh, some one-word summaries here so that since those are all kind of kind of lengthy. So we're just going to give you five one-word summaries here. First off, compare, prove, stand, increase, and believe. Compare everything to God's word and his will. Don't accept unproven truths. Go out there and prove them. Whatever God shows you as truth will be proved out. Doesn't he say in the, in the Word of God, test the spirits, see if they're from Him? Third, stand. Don't do what is not in faith. You make a stand on where your faith is and don't move off of it. Don't let people take you in another direction. Fourth, increase. Be increasing in godly wisdom and understanding. That's that's your role. Keep pursuing the things of God. Keep increasing in that. And then fifth, believe. Believe what God reveals over what you see and hear. If in your spirit God has not revealed an urgency that other people are pushing, then it's not something that you need to do. There was a uh, there have been a few times I've had a medical situation going on in my body and I tune into my spirit to find out what it is that I should do. There was a, 
uh, time, um, I think it was last year, and I was uh, I was going through some things. I'd been to my particular doctor three times, and um, he was not getting the diagnosis. The last time I had gone there, I felt that he needed to do a certain test. Came up in my spirit to do this test. I mentioned it to him. He says, "Oh no, we don't need to do that." So after a few days had gone and the condition still continued to uh, continue and to get worse, uh, I went to a different place. Uh, one of those, uh, uh, I don't know, not the emergency room, but the other ones, the patient first things, and went in there and told them and immediately they, they set out to do the test that I had asked my doctor to do just without me even asking them. They did that test, came back, and they told me that whatever it was I had had developed into a pneumonia which is what I was kind of thinking it was it had done. And so they had given me a, a, a drug for it. And after about a week, there were still some lingering things going on. And uh, I, t- I called them about it. Or actually, they called me and I said, well, I still have these things going on. So they said, well, come on in. So I came on in and, and uh, they were concerned and they said, well, we need you to go to the ER. And uh, I didn't really think that I needed to go to the ER. But uh, they said, well, we think it's very, very urgent. They mentioned a couple of things they thought that it was. And they said, if you won't go to the ER, you'll have to sign these this paperwork saying that you refuse to go. Now, um, initially I thought, well, I just uh, uh, maybe I'll head on out there and just do whatever they wanted to do. But on my way, I'm not feeling an urgency in my spirit. There's no urgency coming up. There's no thing, Steve, you need to go over there and get that thing checked. It, it, it wasn't there. So I didn't go. And as it turned out, what they had thought wasn't uh, the case at all. And the whole thing did uh, did pass and just uh, it went away. But you see, you got to listen. you got to hear. If you don't get that urgency, then it's not something that you need to do. Now, I've told you this story before, but some years back, when um, I was out delivering a bunk bed, and um, as I came back, I was getting ready to deliver a second bunk bed. I had a second one ready to go. It was in a different direction, so I came back to reload it. And as I was getting ready to reload it, I had a pain. And I just, uh, it was a little difficult for me to, to load the second one. Didn't really feel it on the first, but was feeling it on this one. So I thought, well, I'll just lay down here for a little bit and see if I can get that to go away. And as I'm laying down there, in my spirit, it came up, it's your appendix. Go to the hospital and get them to take it out. This is over a 4th of July weekend. And I believe it was a Friday that this was that this was going on. So I laid there for a little bit longer and my wife was outside but eventually I walked over to the door and says, hey, I think we need to go to the hospital. And so I went to the hospital and went to the ER. Again, there was a, it wasn't an urgency. You know, you got to do it right away. It's just uh, go on there and get them to take this out. So I walked on in and in presenting the, the case to them, I said, uh, well, they went over the symptoms and I had pain in my side. Do you have any nausea? I said, no. Do you have any fever? I said, no. And uh, I think there was one other, um, one other um, condition that they expected to see if your appendix was uh, an issue. And the only thing I had was the pain. And so they said, well, you realize we have to, to do tests. We can't just take your word for it that it's your appendix. I said, oh, I fully appreciate that. I'm just telling you what, um, what I know it to be. And so they uh, took me on back and they did some tests. And after a couple of hours... They came on back, and I don't know if an hour, two hours, whatever it was. They came on back, and it says, yep, it's your appendix. We have to take it out right away. And um, that, see, I came up in my spirit to do that. That's what you have to go on. You don't go on what you see. You don't go on what you hear. 
You don't go on what reports people are telling you. If you sit around and you watch the news on this thing all the time, you're going to begin to do things based on what you see and what you hear and not on what the Spirit of God is revealing to you. But you go do things on what the Spirit of God is revealing to you, not on what the world is telling you. If you'll do this, the attitudes that are above you will not get on you. But if you won't, you'll be like a doeg who will go from a person who's watching over livestock to killing 85 priests and slaughtering a city because somebody asked them to because he didn't compare those things to the Word of God like the guards did. He expect, he accepted unproven truths just because Saul said it. He didn't do what he did in faith. He did it with the purpose of getting ahead in Saul's kingdom. He wasn't looking to increase in godly wisdom or understanding. And he wasn't believing what God was revealing to him. He believed what he saw and what he heard. If you follow in the way of Doeg, the attitudes of people above you will get on you. And you will be guilty in the same way that the people of Tyre were as guilty as the king of Tyre. But if you follow in the way of ones like David, ones like Daniel, ones like Elijah, if you follow their way, then the attitudes of those that are above you will never come near you. Then that's the way that we need to be. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us in this world. This world wants to steer us in all kinds of directions, wants to put us on a sea and have waves toss us this way and that way. But Father, you are a stabilizing force and I thank you for it. Though the world wants us to be in unrest, I thank you, Father, for the peace that we have that we operate on what you reveal to us to do in our spirit and not operate by what we see and what we hear. I thank you for it. And give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I was trying to have my phone so that it would be up here and I would be able to, to see if anybody had any comments on this, but that wasn't uh, working out for me. Um, so I just wanted to see if we had any comments on this before. Oh, I see Ethel. Yep, I bet you have to be uh, very vigilant. Not to be led by what you see and what you hear. Very good. Well, if you were watching tonight, leave a, leave a marker, comment, a like, something. Otherwise, I won't even know that you were there. I sure appreciate all you folks who were able to um, to hang out. Uh, like I said, I did post the outline to the comments on the post I made earlier about tonight. And it seemed to be there on my computer next door, but when I came over here and looked at my phone, I couldn't see that there was a comment there that had the outline. So if that did actually go away, I apologize for that. I did try and have that up there for you. Uh, so there's some people I had email addresses for, and I tried to make sure I emailed them out to you. Uh, the folks who usually come out on, on Wednesday night. Anyway, but... Um, uh, all right. Well, thanks all for for coming out and joining us. Uh, for Sunday, I'm not saying that we are not having church on Sunday. Uh, we're actually moving in a direction that we probably will. But um, I just wanted to have you all stay at home here tonight and just watch from there since many of you are in communities where they have, uh, uh, especially at nighttime, they have